0: This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.
1: I'm Aishwarya Iyer. I am the founder and CEO of Brightland, a clean, modern pantry essentials brand best known for our extra virgin olive oils and vinegars from California. And I adore retail because of its multi-dimensionality.
0: From New York City. You're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail
2: industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Retail is Your Business. I'm so happy you're here. Uh, I'm Mark Rico. I'm one of your hosts, and the other, but far more important host, Rebecca Fitz, is here as well. Hello, Rebecca.
0: Hello, Mark, and hardly, hardly. Oh,
2: please. Oh, <laughs> please. How you doing? What What's the last big, cool meal you made or ate?
0: Oh, that's a great question.
2: Uh, and given I our guest, I thought I'd ask.
0: I was going to say, and pertains today, I have so much to say on what's going to happen next on this podcast. <laughs> big meal that I've made. i got to tell you, I've been so busy. I've really been falling down on the cooking front This is not a big meal, but it's a dream of mine that I get my act together and food prep on a Sunday night and make myself a nice, healthy farro salad Mm -hmm. with some olive oil in it and Ah, wink, wink, and, um, and egg cups so that when it comes to lunchtime and I'm working out of my house, that there's actually something
2: to eat in the refrigerator. What are egg cups? I'm not familiar with that.
0: It's a great thing. So it's eggs with really anything you want in it, and you put them in muffin tins, and it's almost like you're having a little mini omelet, but you don't have to start from scratch.
2: That's awesome. And then that can be carb-free and all that. So
0: Exactly.
2: Beautiful. I love that idea. Still tastes good.
0: Put some cheese in them, do the thing.
2: So I want to tell you about my meal, but I don't want to wait any more time to welcome Aishwarya, Iyer to the show. Aishwarya, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy you're here. Rebecca and I are genuinely looking forward to this conversation. So
1: I am thrilled to be here and so excited to talk about all things food and all things, of course, olive oil and vinegar and beyond.
2: Wahoo. Okay, we're going to get to that in a second, but I, I, I have to just follow up quickly because I asked a question about your meal, Rebecca. I have to tell you about a cool meal I made the other day. I saw A video somewhere, TikTok, Facebook, or something. (laughs) I don't remember. And the idea was to make essentially a pizza using no dough. What the recipe was, it was basically taking canned chicken, just because it's so malleable. It's so mushable, right? Mm -hmm. And then you add garlic powder, pepper, grated cheese, and an egg. And then you mush it all up, and then you kind of roll it out and spread it out into a pizza crust, basically. You put that in the oven for a bit, and then you put your toppings on it, whatever you want, and then you bake it the rest of the way. And what you end up is a kind of pizza that is, it's a lot more protein. There's no, unless you add gluten or carbs to it, there really aren't any, and it's so healthy. Now, I will say I haven't quite found the secret of making the crust firm enough. I couldn't pick up a slice. It ended up being more like I dumped lasagna on the pan. But <laughs> but, but it was tasty and it was pretty healthy, too. So that was a really great idea.
0: I love that. And that's. A, I will take that recommendation. Here is where I think we're all probably falling down on getting really good crust. And you may have this, Mark, but I do not. You need that, like... Pizza stone, pizza oven kind of heat, and I for sure know I can't get it out of this thing that's sitting right next to me. <laughs> I could actually warm up my stove right now, go shopping at Bloomingdale's, and come yeah. back and it'd be ready to you know cook something yeah. uh, in.
2: <laughs> you know, fair is fair. I want to ask before we get to the business part of it, uh, Ashwarya, what's the last interesting meal you made or bought?
1: The last interesting meal that I made was I made olive oil brownies recently. And Uh I basically then made a raspberry and strawberry and rhubarb compote. And I added a splash of our balsamic vinegar to that. And then what I did was I made olive oil brownies, layered it with the compote, and then added some vanilla bean ice cream. And it really was- Stop it.
2: I know. (laughs) I was like, all right. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh,
1: yeah, I took it to the next level, I think.
2: <laughs> so what I, I like us. is this This is a great dinner. We start for, as an appetizer with Rebecca's egg cups. Then we do our chicken-based pizza, and then we finish it off with everything Ashwarya just said. So <laughs> I'm in, I'm in, big dinner party. Everybody, everyone is invited. Amazing. Okay, let's get to it. So I want to start with this question. And and as you go, feel free, Ashwarya to explain what your offerings are but before we started recording i was kind of asking you about the structure of your company and i was like hey is ashwarya is uh, brightland d2c is it wholesale you know how are you offering it and you said well it's kind of interesting actually the model so here's my question please explain what your model is and how you get your product in front of people and why it's interesting
1: yeah we so brightland is around two and a half years old And when we launched, we didn't have funding, outside funding. So I bootstrapped the company with some savings. And because of that... I thought a lot about what would be the, I think the most easy way to get in front of people. And I think I had a lot of naivete around what easy even means. But to me at that moment, it was direct to consumer because I could literally pack and ship the orders and understand who my customer was. And so that's how we started. But within the first two to three weeks of launch, and we were very... I also want to take a step back and share that we were very lucky in that we were featured by the New York Times the day that we launched. And so that definitely catapulted.
2: Yeah, that never hurts.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That definitely catapulted our growth. So within two weeks of launching, we started getting inquiries from retailers, large and small. And at the time, it was me and a couple of interns. And so I certainly, what I did know, even with my naivete, was that we certainly weren't ready to take on larger retail partners but we had these amazing, really like curated, thoughtful, whether they were general stores or wine shops, cheese shops, lifestyle stores reaching out around the country. So I said, okay, let's test this out. Let's see what this is like. And what that has turned into is now I think over 500 or 600 stores around the country that we're in that are all in that realm of really small curated lifestyle stores, wellness stores, you know, whether it's like a goop type of store, we're with wine shops, charcuterie and cheese shops. And that has been a wonderful flywheel for us because basically we have customers who go and get introduced to Brightland through that local shop or a shop that they covet and trust and love. And then they come to our site and they're like, oh, you also came out with a garlic oil that's exclusively online that we don't have access to at our local store. So we want to then purchase that. And so it's served as a really wonderful flywheel and like storytelling kind of mechanism as well as obviously for for sales and whatnot. So, when I talk about, you know, why it's sort of interesting, quote unquote, I think when people usually think of olive oils, vinegars, pantry essentials, you're thinking that you're going to be at the Whole Foods tomorrow and for us, we actually, you know, Whole Foods came to us and we said, "Hey, hang on, I don't think we're ready for this yet. The way I'm thinking about building this brand is slightly different." And so, there will be a day when it makes sense for us, but that day isn't right now.
2: How do you make sure Ashwarya to connect that story especially as it evolves with your consumers at all of the points of their journey with you? So you know, there's some you need to say, oh, here's the story so you know who we are. And then there's others who have tried you. And the story they learned in the beginning, part of it's still true, but part of it has changed. And until they come back to you again, they, they don't understand that there's new. No, how do you keep that connection going?
1: I think it's a variety of touch points. And I think that's one of the strengths of having a D2C, a robust D2C presence is that we can communicate with them with really compelling emails We're kicking off SMS soon. I personally reach out to our customers and ask them, you know, tell me why you're still excited about Brightland. You've now purchased, you know, 15 times, for example, and like bought presents for all of your friends. Like, why are you doing that? Hmm. There's constant communication. And then ultimately, social media is really powerful for that. And that's how we've stayed connected, even to the stores around the country that carry us. We have relationships with them on social, which has been really amazing.
2: You know, when we had King Arthur Baking Company on the show, one of the ways that they've really focused on their storytelling is baking ideas, baking recipes, baking instruction. And that just keeps alive the idea of, let us help you have a wonderful experience. Here's ideas, here's instruction. Is that enter into part of your storytelling? Is being a partner in the use of your products?
1: Absolutely. That has been a huge part of the storytelling and the narrative building. We have a chef in residence who's this amazing woman named Noreen Wasti, who's based in New York City. She develops these incredible recipes we work with, whether it's chefs or home cooks and recipe developers. Yeah. We've never been too much of a chef-driven brand. We've been very much like, it's okay if you have store-bought hummus and you haven't cooked in a few days. If you want to <laughs> Brightland over, over, you know, your Trader Joe's hummus, it's just going to add to the magic and rest. So that's always been our kind of communication and that's our style, but we've actually seen customers in our community cook alongside us. So when Noreen comes out with a chef in residence sort of recipe, we've then seen in the following weeks, you know, dozens of people start to make that recipe and tag her and us, which is just so incredible to see.
0: It's really cool. And there's something to take from this. But I'm going to say this next word. And you'll be like, well, you can't replicate it. But how organic and authentic it is. And I'm not sure if you thought really strategically, like, well, I think you thought strategically, because you were like, I don't want to get into a whole food situation and not be able to deliver on it is what I'm thinking you're saying. But how important your small shop became also in the pandemic, which I'm sure you're like, I, I just got lucky. But certainly, what a nice way to discover it, exactly what you were saying, and that it's kind of your trusted Marie's Cheese or whatever, wherever it is that you're going to shop, and then you go and find it. I love that. I'm trying to think of how that can relate to an audience where they'll be like, let me take this formula. But it's a hard formula to take because it seems like it was really authentic.
1: It is a hard formula to take because... I think in two and a half years, a lot has changed and evolved. I think it also just depends on what product you have. So, you know, we're going to be doing something in the retail space this holiday season. We're actually going to be opening a store, a pop-up store in New York City. And I can't really think of many, like, I don't know if it makes sense for a cereal brand or a granola bar brand to be able to do that in a really compelling way. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, maybe it'll be super experiential and all about tasting. But for us, it just makes a lot of sense to do. And so that's our very first, I think, like bigger foray into retail Mm -hmm. is literally having a Brightland store.
0: Well, one, I love that you're doing a pop-up in New York City. Talk to us a little bit about that because you've had this platform already. And certainly we talk a lot on this show about direct-to-consumer brands that have flourished online and then what's the need to you know have this physical location f- for you all and I think there are probably another things that relate kind of to the product but again if I can only get the garlic olive oil online there's certainly still a real use for that so so why now why physical
1: yeah I think even from the beginning, we always knew that the brand was going to be omni-channel. It was never going to sit in one silo and operate that way. We just wanted to make sure that we felt like it was always on our terms. And we also wanted to build a brand universe that could stand on its own two legs and didn't rely on a third-party channel or retailer of any kind. And so... For us it was a matter of when's the right time, what's the right city. So we had to ask ourselves and answer those questions. And we chose New York City because that's actually where our number one customer base is, which is so funny and I think surprising to people because they assume it's California. But I think folks in New York are just so like excited about something that is California made and has that sort of brightness, pardon the pun. And so we've seen a lot of success in New York. We did residencies where we partnered with, you know, whether it was a Goop or a Haven's Kitchen and Flatiron, we've partnered with folks and done like kind of one day residency, two day residencies to test this concept in a really micro, like really, really intimate way. And we saw tremendous success. We see people, when we taste, when we tell our story, when we're there in a tactile and tangible way, it clicks and resonates and this isn't, you know, news to anybody listening, but I think all of those things for us were just really strong validators that one day we wanted to make this happen. And so after that, it was just a matter of taking a step back and saying, what's the right timing for us. Brightland is a fantastic gift. So we said, okay, holiday could be a great time for it. And then once we nailed down where we wanted it, which was New York city, then it's, what is it going to look like? What is what is it going to feel like when someone walks in? You know, like how experiential or how immersive. And those are the things that we're discussing right now. And I think I'm just so galvanized about this as an opportunity for us to also test if retail is that compelling, maybe eventually we'll have a, a longer standing store, like an official flagship of some sort.
0: Amazing. And I think there's definitely this feel of kind of, crawl, walk, run when it comes to physical retail because there's so many risks involved in it and it's costly. But interesting, again, mm-hmm. that you've had this really kind of authentic, organic way to, to enter the market and kind of stick your toe into it and that you're not saying we need to have a thousand stores tomorrow.
2: Have you taken a look at dot yet? Every brand and every product has a story to tell, and you can't successfully sell that brand or product without telling the story. StoryDot delivers your story wherever you want it to be heard. You can meet your customers at each point in their journey, connecting the dots between your business and the consumer to enhance engagement, experience, and conversion. I encourage you to take a look at story dot. At story dot com. That's storido tcom I'm wondering, Ashwarya, how much you've thought about potential partnerships. For example, and I'm not trying to be idea boy here, but just by way of illustration saying, okay, we're not ready to invest in, or this isn't the moment for us to build a flagship store that's coming hopefully, but but we still want to have that brick and mortar presence in a way that features us, that looks like we're a part of that. So we're going to partner with a chain of high-end pizza restaurants, let's say, or cooking instruction businesses that you know there will be uh you know some price tag for us, but we'll be part of the shingle, so to be x y z cooking school featuring brightland uh, products where all of the vinegars and the oils or whatever are your product, and it just associates you and keeps impressing you in people 's minds, so those were just two off the cuff examples but Have you thought about the opportunity for partnerships to basically stick you in the mind visually in every city you can? So you're just a a part of the landscape in a way. and, And so that once you go the direction of flagship store, additional stores, it just seems obvious.
1: Yeah, it's a wonderful question. And it's certainly something that we have delved into. We've done partnerships with the Maman locations in New York City. We've done other sort of B2B partnerships that have been super fruitful. And ultimately, I think for us, the learnings there have been what have inspired us to say, okay, we're now ready to take this on. Mm.
0: That's great. I'm also very proud, I have to say, that you're California-based, but New York came up. We are a group of foodies and people who love to eat and and cook, clearly. so. Well, yes. We're we're getting like a, a blue ribbon as far as being able to have a store, which is interesting.
2: Can we talk, Ashwarya, about the path to being where you are now? Meaning as your company looked at, okay, this is what we're going to now make. We're going to commit to this. This is the path.
0: Yeah.
2: How did you look at not just the product itself, but saying okay, there is a market for this. How did you evaluate the market? How did you evaluate what products to actually start with and the avenue to expansion? Because sometimes it's like our path is to introduce a product a month over the year and we end up with 12 products or it's let's see how this one sells and when we think we're ready to start producing a second product. That's when we will do it. So how did you think about that and blueprint it out?
1: Yeah. I mean, taking a step back originally, how we thought about whether this even made sense, and this was something that you know I felt strongly about, it came from a really personal place for me because I was getting stomach aches and didn't know what was happening. And realized that oh. it was the rancid olive oil I was consuming oh, wow. and I did a lot of research and learned that North of 70% of the olive oil that Americans consume is rancid, rotten, or it's been adulterated, like blended with inferior oils. So that came from a really personal place of wanting to see change and create change and ultimately champion small organic farms here in the States that are doing that, that aren't necessarily getting the recognition or sales and Large scale agriculture is the one that gets subsidies like these small farms. That's why things are expensive when you want to buy them at a higher quality. So that was the like core genesis. But then in terms of saying, okay, are people going to want to... Buy this, you know, or are people gonna want this? I think I looked a lot at wellness. I looked a lot at cooking trends. I looked a lot at how people were starting to talk about staying in. This was very much pre pandemic, but this concept of staying in started becoming more in vogue, concept of wellness and what that means, like nourishing your body from the inside out or the outside in. Both of those things were really, I think, talked about, and and you could see consumer behavior kind of shifting that way. So it was things like that that then kind of solidified my hypothesis. After that, in terms of what to launch with, we launched with two extra virgin olive oils from California. And the reasoning for two is because there are hundreds of thousands of olive blends out there. And based on the blends... The taste is really different and the use case is really different. And in Europe, people actually have three or four olive oils in their house for different use cases. So I loved that, thought that was super interesting and wanted to apply that in a, like with an American sensibility and with a little bit of delight too. And so we launched with two blends, one for robust kind of like soups and stews and pastas, and then one for baking, hummus, salads, dressings that has like kind of lighter buttery notes. So that was our kind of like our launch strategy. And then after that, it's been really a blend of what are customers asking for? What are we so excited to create and share with the world? What makes sense for the brand? And it's a matter of, What can we produce and how much of it? So in some cases, so this summer, we're going to be launching something limited edition. And we've been talking a lot about the fact that we don't have very many of it. We have very few. So it's certainly going to be something that sells out really quickly. And it's kind of coming to terms with, okay, that's okay, because we still want to showcase this. It's a collaboration. So we want to showcase the partner we're collaborating with. And we love and we stand behind this product so much that we want, even if it can't be for everybody, at least some people can try it and enjoy it. So it's really a calculus of all of those things. And it's something that I I don't think we're experts in. I don't know who's an expert in it. I, I think that it's something that we're constantly learning and evolving with, especially as scarcity marketing is becoming more sexy and you know something that everyone is always talking about, whether it's like, this product sold out five times or this wait list has 50,000 people yeah, it just makes them more, it adds another dimension to it all.
0: I would say you are probably an expert from all of that. Who is your competitor? Because you just named some things that I think that make you very unique in many ways. But I do know, and I I am not the shopper, but even when you walk into like a Marshall's, there are these olive oils that are on there. And I have to say, there's a huge education component there that they're not pure, that they're mixed in, that they might make your stomach hurt. I married a someone who's half Italian, and really, I'm, I'm glad that we actually got married because I didn't know anything about the bread and putting the salt and the cheese in there, and that probably could have been a big fail with him. But <laughs> he, he he taught me the ways, and, and we've made it this far. But who, who is out there that's in this category? Because you check some really unique boxes.
1: Yeah. I mean, the way that I think about it in 2021 is that... <laughs> everyone's your competition and also nobody's your competition because we're all competing for noise and it's very noisy. There's so many brands. There's so many, whether it's cookware, whether it's kitchen goods, spice brands, superfood powders, supplements, and everybody's sitting in this space of like the intersection of home meets kitchen meets wellness meets you know, Instagrammable packaging and all of that. And so we're constantly thinking about how can we create something of value that isn't just contributing to noise? That's a really tough thing in 2021.
0: It's certainly, it's reminding me of, I've just gotten into recently organic wine and certainly it's a a difficult path to kind of, you want to learn about it. I shouldn't say it's a difficult path, but surely it seems like there's a huge following of it and there's probably a huge following in you know, exactly what you were doing. The small batches, I really, you can go to this place called Skin Contact and if you like the bottle of wine, it's great, but there may only be three or four others. And again, it's not, them trying to create a demand for something that's not there. It's just really what the small batch delivers. So very interesting. And not a marketing ploy either. So it's just it is what it is. Yes.
2: Yeah I think this next question uh piggybacks on that pretty well, Rebecca and Ashwarya, is, you know, your packaging to me doesn't look like the other olive oils and so forth that I see on the shelf. It it does stand out. And I'm sure that's part of the design intent. But I'm curious about two things. One is, tell us about the decision-making in saying this is going to be the packaging and why it's going to be the packaging. And on the one hand, assuming that part of it was to make it stand out from the the rest that's on the shelf when it is on a shelf, versus someone looking at it and saying, well, that doesn't seem like the other, so it doesn't belong. So how do you strike that balance in your product design and understanding where it's going to sit when it is in a brick and mortar location and make sure that you find a balance between seeming special and not being shut out because it doesn't look like it belongs.
1: Yeah. I never once thought, maybe that's my naivete or my tenacity as a founder. I never once thought we'd get shut out. I always saw the opportunity. and Not in it. to
2: assume you would have. I, I just was
1: Yeah. So always saw the opportunity. And the reasoning for that was really when I went to I so I did a lot of my like market research, aka looking at people at various stores. So went to the goop store to see what people were buying in the kitchen area that goop has went to Whole Foods, went to Costco, Safeway, like, you know, every kind of store. And I noticed that in pantry, everybody was just really confused, didn't have that much delight, was very like overwhelmed by it all. And everything looked totally the same. So I knew that design could be used as a tool to differentiate, you know, very clearly visually. But I think most importantly, for me, it was How do we use design almost as a Trojan horse to then get people to say, wow, the quality, what is inside is different and that really matters. Or to learn about the importance of harvest date because we have this gorgeous bottle and it's printed on there. And maybe you're spending a little more time with this bottle than you would another bottle. And you notice certain elements like smoke point and harvest date and polyphenol count, all the things that are really important to high quality pantry products. So I think that was really the genesis for why the packaging and why that importance in packaging design for Brightland.
2: And the white container that we see on the landing page of your website, is that a plastic? Is that a glass? That, uh, is it a ceramic? What, what is the container?
1: So our bottles, are our olive oil bottles are glass bottles that have been coated with a UV organic powder coating to protect them from... Wow light and heat and all of that because light is one of olive oil's biggest enemies
2: fascinating that knowing that really helps functional
1: and stylish
2: (laughs) (laughs)
0: you guys have thought of everything I was thinking about the heat in like shipping but just thinking about where I currently store my olive oil is making me question Some of those choices.
2: I was also going to ask about your candles. Tell us about, yeah, we're going to make olive oil. We're going to make, uh, you know, vinegar. Oh, hey, let's make some candles too. Tell us the path to that being included in your offerings.
1: Yeah, that was very much something that our team was delighted by. Yeah. When we started thinking about the Brightland world, we've always talked about Brightland is born to inspire simple everyday moments in your kitchen. And so we said- What are the other moments in your kitchen? It might be like you're sipping a glass of wine and just reflecting on your day and you wanna light a beautiful candle or you wanna do something, Mm. take a particular kind of analog action and so we knew that that action was very much a part of the Brightland world we're building. So then we said, okay, how amazing would it be to have our own candle? But what could that look like? Maybe it's a candle that smells like the kitchen, or maybe it's a candle that smells like tomatoes. So we started down that pathway. And when we were meeting with our candle maker, who's this amazing woman founded candle producer here in Los Angeles, so yet another California kind of partner that we've collaborated with, she was saying, we can add olive oil to your candle and it'll actually make the scent last longer come on and we were so excited by that so we actually sent brightland olive oil and so there is brightland olive oil in every candle and then layering on top of that it is a specifically a kitchen candle so the notes have been specifically formulated with black pepper and vetiver and neroli and pink peppercorn with Brightland olive oil to allow it to be something that clears away kind of your kitchen smells and kind of serves as a palate cleanser, if you will, for your mm-hmm. kitchen. So there's that. And then finally, the personal kind of element of it all is that vetiver is a native plant from South India, specifically from the region that my ancestors come from. And so to be able to have a candle that is such a, like a deep thread to my heritage and history felt really special to me. And, you know, maybe one day when we're, when we're in every Whole Foods or in every whatever, like, I don't know if we can do things like this. I don't know if we'll have the bandwidth. So to be able to do something like this now and to light Mm -hmm. that candle in our store this November and December will be really, really special.
2: Wow. It'd be nice if every time you have your first moment in any store, it becomes a tradition to light one of your candles as sort of that first moment, like cutting of the ribbon in a way that that'd be that'd be a great opportunity. That's cool. Uh, Rebecca, cool. do you have anything else before we go on a personal questions? It's OK if you do.
0: Uh, Just one quick question, um, because it's interesting. I'm involved in startup life. I happen to have two founders. Are you the singular founder of the company? Because you had mentioned in the beginning it was myself and five interns, which I I frankly always enjoy that (laughs) founder story. Who's who's pick and packing in their own home? Because, you know, it's got to start somewhere. Is that correct? I'm the solo founder, yeah. Excellent. Excellent.
2: By the way, kudos for getting five interns, you know. (laughs) at the beginning (laughs) that's really great i don't Uh,
0: think it was five i think it was like two
2: (laughs) they did the work of five and
0: (laughs) what is the company count now
1: uh the company count full-time is six between full-time and part-time i
0: would say like 20 something gotcha okay cool great amazing that's a hasn't been that long but you're you're growing like wildfire
2: that's awesome all right I don't think we're done talking about Brightland, but we're still going to move on to the part of our show where we get to know Aishwarya on a more human level right after this. You're You're rolling, Mark. Oh, yes, I am. Uh, (laughs) Hey, hey everybody. I'm Mark Rako. And I am Puffin Ball. And we are two of the hosts of Fashion Is Your Business, which is a weekly show. And in part, it's about fashion tech, but it's also about the intersection of business and technology innovation, e-commerce, business strategy—you name it, we probably talk about it. We've had many people on the show over the last six years. We've been—we've not missed a week. Every week, we've had at least one show. That's more than 350 episodes uh, with some of the foremost fashion technology. Wait, have, have we? We—I uh, I don't actually know the stat. Are have we ever missed a week? I don't think we've ever missed a week in one That's way or another, crazy. presenting some value. But uh, but enough about us. Let's talk about you. Wow. Um, no, look, if I'm going to throw my promo out there, I'll say that
0: as a retail strategist, uh, we go very deep into um, really curating the conversation. So whether they be investors or futurists, strategists, um, a lot of technology founders, I mean... Uh, brand leaders, the the conversations and the wealth and the, the spectrum of people that have been on the show are, are incredible and to think back on the last six years which I, I actually did not know it was six years I was going to say five but still um,
2: unbelievable uh, the the breadth of information that's in here, and yeah, uh, I've learned a ton. So I'm assuming other folks would have learned a ton as well. Look to us, it's been like a masterclass covering everything from textiles to retail and everything in between. It covers business news from startups to conglomerates. And the show is a fun and accessible morning radio vibe. Uh, We have fun and you will too. But the main thing is whether or not you are in the fashion industry or fashion technology, there's something here for everybody. You'll hear us every Tuesday without fail on Fashion Is Your Business. And guess what? You can find it pretty much anywhere you find your best podcasts. Everywhere from Spotify to Apple to Stitcher to Google. All of the things. All of the things. All Fashion the things. is your business. All right, Ashwarya, Rebecca, as always, I throw it to you. Lead <laughs> off or follow up?
0: Oosh, uh, my mind's a little, bit uh, not a blank, but on how to ask something that doesn't have to do with food or cooking
2: <laughs> Okay. Uh, um,
0: or olive oil. So I, get, you, go for it.
2: I will go. Okay. All right, Ashwarya, I want to ask you, what kind of music do you tend to listen to that most inspires you creatively?
1: I love listening to French pop. I love listening to... There's an artist named Justin Towns Earl, who I used to listen to a lot right when Brightland launched. And Brightland's name actually comes from an Aussie folk song that I heard when I was in Tokyo, because in Japan, they love like folk music and a lot of Americana folk music. And so the lyrics, it says, I'm searching for the olive tree into the Brightland I go. Hmm. And so that was why Brightland (laughs) became Brightland.
2: How interesting. I didn't even know that. See, I didn't even know asking that question, we'd find out the genesis in there. Look at that.
0: Exactly. And so much yeah. about folk music. Also,
2: French pop, very specific. I love that. I I, I would
0: agree, by the way. I w- We might need to hear your playlist at some point. That's, I'm sure it'll be on in one of the stores. Yeah. <laughs> or the store. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Sure. So it does sound, I'm going to reverse engineer my question, which <laughs> You spend a lot of time, it seems like, thinking about health, wellness, food, cooking food. What is your hobby outside of, because your work can be a hobby, but, but not, is there another outlier outside of some of these things that you do that are connected to the company but seem like you really enjoy them?
1: Yeah, I'm a classical Indian dancer. So that's been a huge part of my wow. life for the past 25 years. And I have two dogs and love to go on. Lately, my one of my hobbies is to discover new LA parks and take my dogs out.
0: Very nice. Very nice. It's very interesting, again, in startup life, how you hang on to those things if you can. I think startup life dipped in a pandemic has been... What are my releases? So I, I hope the dancing of the, the dog park search sounds amazing mm. and very, very pandemic-like. <laughs> but I love both those things. Awesome. Good.
2: All right, Aishwarya, how can people connect, obviously, with the brand? But from a B2B standpoint, uh, how would you like to invite people to connect with you with, you know, opportunities for strategic partnership, uh, retailers, and so forth?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the brand is available at brightland.co. On Instagram, we're at we are Brightland. I'm available on LinkedIn. Just look for me, Ishwaria Iyer. And I'm on Twitter, Ishwaria 228
2: Awesome. All right. Well, and by the way, just so everyone knows, that is A-I-S-H-W-A-R-Y-A. Last name is I-Y-E-R. It's probably obvious, but just in case. <laughs> Anyway, Aishwarya Iyer, the founder of Brightland, what a cool, cool company. And I love the fact that we are catching it right at an inflection point as the candle is being lit. It is so cool to see you. I can't wait to circle back with you after a certain amount of time and celebrate the great accomplishments beyond this point, hopefully very soon.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Mark and Rebecca. Such a pleasure.
2: All right. That's it for this episode of Retail is Your Business. And we got to talk about food, Rebecca. That is always fun. And it
0: is always fun. We brush to do these because we love absolutely.
2: them. Absolutely. And there, I'm not even going to say it, but there is one topic we barely brushed, <laughs> barely brushed <laughs> one of your questions that we always talk about. And I'm just going to leave it there. And I said the P you word. You the P I word. Did, but
0: just right at the very that's end. That's right.
2: But we almost <laughs> got through it. So anyway, we're, we're, it's growth. It's growth, Rebecca. <laughs> anyway. All right. Exactly. Anyway, uh, we'll see you all next week. Until then, for Rebecca Fitz.
0: Thanks so much.
2: Thank you, everybody. I'm Mark Waco. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
0: This has been Retail is Your Business. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2020. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.